COVID-19 safety measures were strictly adhered to at all times during this production. Welcome to our new podcast, The Anku. I'm Yanling. And I'm Sean. And usually on our usual freelance creative exchange podcast, we talk to professionals about how to supercharge their freelance careers. But after speaking to so many people, we were thinking, how did they get so cool? I mean, in order to achieve their successes and fame, they must have been pretty uncool at a certain point. No matter what kind of successes they have, we get our guests to dish out all the awkward moments that led them to where they are now. Some are even putting the cool in uncool jobs. So let's go talk to the uncools. To be honest, for a few years, I didn't know you were white. Are you serious? <laughs> yeah, you were just that voice on the radio, like maybe Jason and Arno. Okay. Really, yeah. And, uh? and they all, like all the DJs, anyway, spoke with an accent. Yeah. So from Alberta to Sambawang, <laughs> yes. how, how did how did you end up from Alberta to Sambawang, Jason? Well, I just jumped from one heartland to another heartland, the Canadian heartland to the Singapore heartland. I'm always on the outskirts, no matter what country I'm in. I never make it quite to the hot spots. You know what I mean? But uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I grew up in Lethbridge, Alberta. I went to university in Edmonton, a place that's even colder and harsher and more isolated than Lethbridge. And then after that, I remember one time I got off at the wrong bus stop and it was the dead of winter and it was 40 below. And my girlfriend at that time and I got off at this, we were going to a restaurant and we got off at a bus stop. And uh, I remember making a vow at that moment that I would leave Edmonton, Alberta. I, as God is my witness, I will never be snowed upon again. And so I picked like uh, the hottest country I could find after that. And right out of uni, I, I got a job teaching English in Thailand. And I like to say I learned more Thai than the kids learned English. I was the worst <laughs> teacher probably in history. And then from there, I came to Singapore to renew my passport. And then I just picked up jobs in advertising and writing little articles. And that's where it sort of started. <laughs> Random question. Mm. Does the term angmo <laughs> offend you? <laughs> I mean, how I long have you lived how, here? It's, I've lived here 25 years, I think. Yeah. I think I've only been called an angmo maybe once or twice in Serious? Yeah. No way. Really? Oh no, I guess it worked in that people say it in sort of a teasing way and stuff. But I've only been a called an angmo in like a derogatory way. What I mean yeah. to say is like a derogatory way where like somebody spits it at you. I think that only happened once. But uh, like I'm six foot two and I'm 220 <laughs> pounds. So you don't get So I, I don't get, I mean of course, you know, but I mean, uh, not that I'm some tough guy or what, but people think twice. It's really weird, you know, because I grew up in a town where almost everybody was white. It's small town Canada. <laughs> almost everybody is white. So I grew up in the majority. When you become a minority, it's, it, it is a bit different. But what you got to remember is I'm looking out at my eyes, right? And all I see is Asians. <laughs> I don't see, my eyes don't look back at me to see this white guy standing amidst all these Asians. <laughs> So from my eyes, everything's completely normal. I'm amongst a bunch of people because I'm not seeing myself. You know what I, and I, know I mean? And I feel like that's why I feel like a lot of minorities, people's racism might strike. Like when I, like I've encountered racism almost, I would say almost never, like in my time in Singapore. But when you're a minority and you do encounter racism, sometimes, at least from my point of view, it strikes you as strange because it's like, 
it's like, what's this? What is he talking about? Because, <laughs> because it's like if you're around <laughs> Asians all the time, you stop. I stop thinking of myself as I don't really go around thinking. I'm white, I'm white, I'm white, Asian, Asian, I'm white, I'm white, Asian. You're just like amongst all these people and you're and you're a person amongst these people and you're not seeing yourself. You're just doing your and thing. so when somebody gets is a, like racist toward you, it sort of snaps you out of yourself. Like the weird thing is, and I wonder, it's probably different if for different people in different countries, but I just kind of feel sorry for the ignorant bastard. Like if somebody's racist, I'm like, it's usually some frog in a well who doesn't got much going on. You know what I mean? And that's not true. That's true of every country. You've got the people, like <laughs> all you people who don't like people from other countries, there's people in other countries who don't like you, you know? <laughs> and that's the universal truth. And that's what I go back to talking about, like the different personalities. Yeah. Every country will have the same number of racists, you know? Yeah. Every country will have the same number of do-gooders. Because I really do feel like people are walking around on eggshells too much. Yeah. I'd rather people, if they want to call me an Angmo or whatever, or be racist, just do it. And then it's up to me whether I forgive you or not, uh -huh. instead of just hiding it and doing shit behind my back and being passive aggressive so I can't call you out on it or what. I'm like, people should just be more honest. People should be more honest and more forgiving instead of more scared and bottled up. Is even Angmo a declaratory term? Do you even look at it that way? Or is it just because it's the thing is, anytime you, anytime you um, use race, like everybody does it, but like I say, it really depends how you say it because you can spit a word. Yeah. What bothers me today is that people are so sensitive that you can't even say a word in love or in fun or with a friend oh, right. or, or yeah, do you know what I mean? Yeah, you can't exactly. even, it's just a word. Yeah. Like, you know, I could use this word, I could use this knife to cut up a nice turkey for you and give you Christmas dinner. Yeah. Or I could take it and stab somebody in the stomach. It's, it's a knife. It's what you do with it that matters. And I feel like it's the same with words. But everybody's terrified now and walking on eggshells because they think if I, if they, if you use the wrong word, your life could be over. Everybody will come down on you like a ton of bricks. So I feel like people are way too. You got to look at the context, but you know that takes brains. <laughs> so you started off as a film critic here. Then was yes. that where that that career path started? I, I spent more time in the immigration office than I did at my jobs <laughs> because I'd work place like a month to get fired. I have to get it. And by this time, I was already with my uh, girlfriend, who's now my wife, Marie. Yeah. And I was like, and we just got on so well. I was like, so I basically stayed because I was just, we were just like so close. There used to be this magazine called Trigger. Do you guys remember it? It's a free street magazine. And it was like pop culture, hip culture, that type stuff. I started writing for that. And that's why I say all you kids out there, you know, don't be afraid to do free stuff. Not like you have a choice anyway. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, so I wrote, I remember I wrote an article on Keanu Reeves. I wrote stuff like that. And then I started writing. I think I wrote a couple things for like eight days. And then Chris World, the in-flight SI. Yes, yes. So I started building my portfolio. And then I was like, fuck it, I'm going to start my own magazine. And then I did. And it was called Popcorn, the movie magazine. I don't know if you guys remember I that. I remember that. And then, of course, it failed. Um, but based on that, I got a job uh, when uh, my one of my favorite guys ever, Royston, and you know Royston, he started uh, First Magazine, and he'd heard uh, about popcorn, and he said, hey, you want to come and work on First? And so that's sort of what led to everything else. So it was a slow transition. You know, anytime you're starting to build a career from like scratch, nothing, you know, you got it. It's like you sort of have a goal, but you sort of take a zigzaggy route on the way to that goal. So Do you like where you ended up, though? 
Yeah, I feel like I'm very fortunate. I feel like right now I'm in kind of best case scenario. Like for all the paths my life could have taken, this is probably in the top 5% of the paths <laughs> my life could have taken. Like there was a much better chance somebody with my background and my temperament that I could be in a much worse circumstance than I'm at now. You must have reviewed like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of movies. I actually worked it out one time. Sorry to step over you. I worked it out one time and I actually... Re now, maybe because I'm not good at math, but I think I reviewed somewhere around like 3,000 movies. So. 3,000. It can't be. That number can't be right. But it was like over 2,000. But it was in the thousand, you know. So do you feel now when you look at movies, you know, it's not what it used to be. It's all franchise blockbusters. It's all streaming. It's no longer the theater experience. is completely different. How, how, how do you, looking at that now, how, how does that make you? The thing feel? is, I always kind of hated movie theaters because people don't know how to behave in movie theaters. <laughs> people talking. I'm like, what was that one by Terrence Malick that just came out and it was with Brad Pitt and it was very serious and it was like he was dead and he hit his son. What was the name of that goddamn movie? It was a beautiful movie. Anyway, the movie is completely silent, but there's some moron like talking through the movie. And so my whole review was just talking about this guy talking during the movie. And I was like, how, how, <laughs> how mentally challenged is the politically correct term? How mentally challenged do you have to be to open your big gob and, 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 and talk during a beautiful movie? I just don't get it. And then, you know, I've almost gotten into fights in movies because I'm the kind of person, especially when I was younger, who would tell people to shut up. <laughs> One time, I, there was these guys sitting next to us, and I told them, this isn't a zoo, this is a movie theater. <laughs> I thought I was going to get jumped. Luckily, I didn't. Um, there was a couple times I've, told, I've had to tell people to shut up, and then it ruins the movie, because you're sitting yeah. there thinking, you're sitting there stewing the whole time. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So when I go, go to movies, luckily, as a critic, I would go to screenings, and then I wouldn't even want to sit around the other critics. I would go sit at the front of the cinema. People always say, why do you sit at the front of the cinema? I say, because you're not at the front of the cinema. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> go sit very close to the screen so I could be in my own little world. and just Because to me, art is the highest form of communication. Like, It's like, well, it, it can be or it ought to be where somebody is like, this is everything I've experienced, everything I've thought, everything I've felt in my life, and I'm putting it into together into this narrative and, and I'm giving it to you and this is what I think and I want you to receive my message. It doesn't have to be a two-way communication. I mean the two-way communication is me appreciating and interpreting and, 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 and you know getting what I get out of a movie. So that's the way I sort of look at it. And people who don't respect that, even for very dumb movies, it just makes me furious. You know what I mean? So you think that streaming oh, movies is probably one of the better things that have come out in the last couple of yeah, years? Yeah, I mean... I. Okay, I know that a lot of people have suffered due to COVID, you know, and I feel bad for the people who got COVID. You know, a lot of bad stuff has happened, but I have to tell you, in all honesty, this has been the best year of my life. <laughs> because there's no expectation that I go out. There's no expectation that I socialize. There's no, and then I don't feel that pressure that I have to go out and that I have to socialize. I feel perfectly justified staying home all day yeah. and watching Netflix. I love Netflix, but I really think I've seen everything. Do you ever get on that thing with Netflix where you sit and just start scrolling? Yeah, yeah. And you can go for like an hour, just scrolling and scrolling and scrolling uh, yeah, and searching yeah, and searching. Yeah, and then yeah. by the time you choose something, like, oh, I would know what time to watch it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and then you turn it off. Exactly. Like, oh man, I gotta go, go my yeah. kids are calling me. Exactly. I like movies that have both flash and heart at the same time. So I feel like a movie with heart and no flash, I find it boring. 
A movie with flash and no heart, I find it boring. So I want to see those two. I want to see visual, you know, fireworks. But I want there to be something going on emotionally. And I don't care really how smart a movie is. I care. And also, here's the thing I realized I like about movies. I like movies where characters are very individuated. I think that's the word. Where every character is very distinct, has a different way of talking, has a different way of dressing, <clears throat> and is very unique in his or own way. I'm a big fan of Tim Burton. I like Edward Scissorhands. It's probably one of my favorite movies. I remember uh, Edward Scissorhands, though. That was. Do you remember Edward Scissorhands? I remember watching that when I was very, very young, and I think it it traumatized me in some way. But I, I remember <laughs> it. I remember. Did you it. see Mars Attacks? I uh, think that, so. That was yeah. another one by Tim Burton. And here's the funny thing. Yes. I went and showed uh, Tim Burton's Mars Attacks about the Martians coming down, and I thought it was hilarious. And then I showed my six-year-old kids, and there's one scene where they take a lady's head and put it on yes. a little dog, oh my and my kid was like, ah! <laughs> and it traumatized them. <laughs> and then I went and I was reading about Tim Burton, and I, and I found out that a lot of parents had done this to their kids, had traumatized them with <laughs> Mars Attacks. If you look at the Marvel movies, it's all like, they're all competent, they're all, you know, well executed, mm -hmm. very professional. That's mm -hmm. the word. Everything's very professional now, but art shouldn't be professional. Art should be fun. I think. So, so I've, I've also come from a film studies background. Yeah. And I remember going for, to film studies I, when I did my master's in the order and I tell people, please don't do a master's in film studies. It's not the most intelligent thing to do in your life. Mm. But anyway, so we was, I was sitting down there, we're reading all these papers about, you know, Amazon Sense, about culture, about mm. treatment, all that. And then we're writing all these papers and I'll get your review. Mm. I'm like, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> that's all you need. To write a film review. So what goes into writing a film review? I mean, you've done thousands. Well, I don't know. Like, I've been getting into this MBTI stuff recently. I don't know if you guys know about this MBTI personality testing. Oh, okay, okay. Yes. And I actually became a certified tester. I was super into it. What? Yeah. So I was like, I realized that it just suits my personality type because I have a very personal and close attachment to movies. And when I love something, like I'm an INFP. Since I've gotten into the, this MBTI stuff, this personality testing stuff, it's sort of changed my life. And I've stopped seeing the world in terms of <clears throat> countries or races or sexes or religions or really anything. And I realized that everywhere in the world, there's people who are the same, right? So there's people like me here. There's people like you in Canada. There's not many people like you in Canada. <laughs> <laughs> right you'll have much more in common with some women than you will with some men you know and I think the same goes racially everything so I really don't see the world in terms of these sort of divides anymore like of course cult cultures can be different and cultures cultures can try to force you to act a certain way but the individual that you are is the individual that you are you might have to conform to a culture that you don't like or agree with but inside you'll still be whoever it is you are. So I really think that, you know, there's just as many dreamers here as there is in Canada or Hollywood or anywhere. You know, they might be forced by circumstance to sort of um, do things they don't want to do or to, to take certain things into consideration. But that, that doesn't mean that inside they don't have those, those dreams and those aspirations and those, you know, the, the love of something, you know. That's kind of the way I think of it. I don't know if you guys know MBTI, but I'm an INFP. And we tend to be the, the most uh, annoying type, but also w because we love things too much and we get too attached to things and to people and we're constantly disappointed by life. It's a whole thing. Anyway, but like, I feel like my, the only secret to my success 
as a film critic, and I mean, I did work, I, I built a house based on writing about movies, is that <laughs> I feel like genuinely, I love movies more than anybody else. And when I loved a movie, I feel such a strong personal connection to it. And equally so, when I hate a film, I really truly despise and loathe that film. Right. <laughs> and I, usually I try to not use very harsh language against it because I know how hard it is to create things. So I was quite, I think I was quite non known for not being overly critical, you know, I tried to be generous. I, I love most films, you know, but the ones I hated, I really hated. But I think that when it comes to film criticism, I feel like intellectual brain power is wasted in film criticism. <laughs> so I feel like if you're smart, there's other things you should do. Like, you know, cure cancer, like that would be the cliche, you know, go cure cancer, don't become a film critic. And I feel like a lot of times people who are more intellectually oriented don't really get movies on the level they're supposed to be gotten, mm -hmm. which is an emotional level yeah. to me. Yeah. And it's like, I just feel like if you're going to go into movies and be a critic, please do it because you just love movies and that they mean a lot to you and you want to express that love. Otherwise, I don't see the point, really. You know, there's some critics, I, I swear to God, most of the critics I read, or I don't read film criticism anymore. That part of my life is kind of <laughs> done, but it's like, they don't even seem to like movies. It's like, this must be hell for you. So that's the lens you need to be a film critic. You just need to love it. I yeah, hate it. you have to have be, feel personal connection and have an ability to put yourself in the movie and feel it. Like, I'm not a person who shows emotion in everyday life. Mm. Like, <laughs> I think I maybe cried a little bit one time in the last 20 years and my wife laughed at me and it never happened again. But when I'm watching movies, I cry at al almost every movie I see. And I remember there was this movie, Space Travelers, a Japanese movie with Takeshi Kaneshiro. He's, I'm showing my age here. This, this still seems like a new movie to me. It was about these guys who rob a bank and all that. And I remember uh, cr I cried at this movie, not weeping, but, and then I remember one of the girls who, who, who like ran the theater, she said, I overheard her saying, there was some white guy crying in the movie. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like shocked, you know, because it's such a dumbass movie. But I feel like if, if that's if, if movies mean that much to you, you, you could find success as a film critic, you know? And I feel like that's the main criteria. Actually, I think for me, that's the main criteria for doing anything, you know, is loving it, you know? Just because you love something, though, doesn't, make, doesn't mean you're going to be good at it or going to be great at I, it. I kind of disagree. I really think if you have a shot of being good at anything, it will be because you love it. And like I say, I feel like the only reason I made a living doing what I did is that I loved it more than anyone. I really do think so. Because there's a lot of people who like movies or, or love movies and they collect this and they collect that, but I really sincerely believe other people would of course have their own, you know, I don't know what other people are feeling, but it's like, I just really loved it so, so much. And it's like, because I loved it so, so much, when I talked about it, when I talk about movies, it's with real, sincerity and real respect and I think that that's the main thing <laughs> if you love like football or golf and I'd be a very bad player even no, though I love it but you might not be Tiger Woods but you could be the guy who writes for the golf magazine you could be the guy that works at the pro shop you could be the guy who uh, hel who helps design the golf bags or whatever the hell they do mm. you know you could be the guy who takes care of the greens at the golf course. Because what it is, you're not in love with the action, the physical action of doing the thing. You're in love with the culture and the aesthetics. I love the greens. 
I love the goofy little pants. I love the silly little hats. You know, I love the clubs. You don't have to be a pro golfer to be a part of that culture. And I really do think it's a matter of picking your tribe. Like, uh. what is the tribe that you want to be a part of? Now, I went into filmmaking, or I, went, I wanted to be in a film. I wanted to be in film. I ended up being a movie critic. I didn't end up becoming a great director. But that's okay because I still got to be in that culture yeah. and I still got to enjoy the movies and be a part of that world and read about it and that's true. without having to be on the PGA tour or whatever it is. And that's fine because it's like, it's like the world offers all these separate little worlds that you can be, what planet do you want to live on? Do you want to live on, you know, the engineering planet where they, they build bridges and roads and construct things and that you might not be a top engineer, but maybe you can work in that office with the engineer, maybe you work in sales or you're some kind of executive. Maybe you're the guy building the roads, but you're the kind of person who wants to build shit and make the world a better place by building massive construction projects. If you have that in mind, you can be that. Whatever world that you're attracted to, whatever planet you attract, you're attracted to, if you love it enough, I feel like you can get there. So it's not, people have too much of a focus on being the top, like, if I can't be Michael Jordan, I shouldn't play basketball. Mm. Which is the, I'm wearing Jordan 13s by the way, <laughs> and, I and I can't play basketball. But uh, no, people have this mindset, you suck at basketball, but no, but maybe I could be on the TV station that covers basketball. Maybe I can work yeah. at the arena, you know? Maybe I could be the guy who takes care of the equipment or something, you know? Yeah, my ex-boss said, um, I think he, he worked in, worked in journalism. Mm. Um, so he said the best journalists never came from journalism school. Mm. They were always, like say, they, they love business. Mm. And then they became the best oh, business journalists. It's the same idea. Yeah, because yeah, they, they don't love the journalism, they love the business yeah. and they love that world. They love talking about it. It's yes. Like, this is what I'm gonna talk about, I don't care. That's exactly right. And that's a very good insight. And that's exactly right. Because journalism, it's like, you have people who are journalists, but they're all living in very different environments in very different worlds yeah. like the guys at the new paper who covered like the crimes <laughs> were living in a very different world from me like there's guys who go down the fucking crime scenes and shit yeah. like that's not like we're sitting you know 100 feet apart from yeah. each other but we're living in different worlds you know so whatever dream you have you can you can live in the world of that dream but you might not be the hero of that world does that make sense? Yeah, I think. I think. Yeah. I think there's something we need to do a lot more in Singapore as well. I mean, or yeah. in general, because I think people are too quick to to dismiss and you know make disparaging comments and things. They're like, oh no, you, you're not gonna succeed. Why? Why? Why try? Done. Been well, there. You failed. My advice to any of you, if anybody ever says that to you, you're not very good. Just don't try. This is what you say. <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to print that. <laughs> and you say it in your mind, and then you work towards your goal and prove those people wrong. True. John's like, oh shit, what are we going to do? So I'm thinking, oh man, this is so so difficult to edit. I had to spend eight years not swearing on the radio. This is how I talk. But it's life like that for a morning radio DJ. I mean, it's tiring because getting up so early is not natural. And it never, like, the funny thing is, it never got easier. You would think after eight years you would get used to waking up at like four or five in the morning, but you don't. 
Every morning, it's torture. Even to this day, I can't break my body clock. I'm still waking up at like five in the morning. <laughs> it's torture, you know, and you have to go to bed at like eight or like not eight, but like nine. I was going to bed at like nine, nine thirty to try uh, to get sleep. And then you're out of sync with everybody yeah. and everybody's up watching TV, making noise and you can't sleep. It's it's a, being a morning radio DJ is like it's, it's not that it's a tough life, but it's like, you know, I don't think it's healthy. It must have been the most unnatural yes. thing for you. Yes. You know, most, physically, mentally. Yes. And I'm a night person. I was always a night person my whole life. The most uncool thing about the job, I guess. Yeah. So at five, so at five you head out. Mm. And then by six you're on radio and you're expected to be like, oh yeah, everyone yeah. I'm be and so trippy. That's, that's the other thing. It's like I'm an incredibly, I'm pretty moody and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, and I think people got that idea on the radio anyway. I didn't always do a good I, job of hiding it. I kind of liked it because like, yeah. that's my mood. In the, if I'm waking up <laughs> yeah. at 6 a.m. and I'm listening to everybody talk, yeah. I want that person to be suffering as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I always made it be known that I was suffering. <laughs> I was uh, complaining. I never had a problem with complaining, you know. So it's like, but the thing is, right, that's the thing. I don't think I was a natural fit. Like you talk about these... Like a lot of radio too, is people don't realize <clears throat> a big part of these media jobs is sales. Like when you're on radio, you're selling, you know, you're selling the music, you're selling the products, you're, you're, when you're at a show, you're selling. And it's like, there's some people who are natural salesmen mm -hmm. and some people who are good at it and like it. And that's not me. Like I'm like more, I'm sort of honest to a fault. And I, I'm sort of, I tend to undersell instead of oversell, like whether it be myself or whatever. Like, I don't have that natural gift of getting people excited about something like that, you know? But, you know, people still think that being on broadcasting or being on radio is really cool. I mean, yeah. it's, it's people's dream job and here you are going, oh, it's my... But that's the thing, no, but, no, I don't want to sound ungrateful because there's a lot of people who want to be um, DJs. The thing is, you got to think, like, as much as you people want to be a DJ or be on the radio, that's how much I wanted to be in movies. Or write about mm -hmm. movies, so it's uh, it, they're different. They're entirely different industries, with an entirely different focus. Yeah. So, like, I grew up loving movies uh, and wanting to be involved in it. I didn't grow up loving radio. I never listened to the radio. My whole life, I listened to records, and then I listened to cassette tapes, and then I I listened to uh, CDs, and and now like downloading or whatever. But I was always like, like I'm so finicky when it comes to mu music that I can't listen to radio because I only like about one in 10 songs. Yeah. So it's like, I wanna pick the music I wanna listen to. Okay. And then a lot of people listen to radio just for the DJs, but I'm not, I'm not a fan of talking and, you know, so it was just, it was, a, it was a great experience, but it was an odd fit for me. And I feel like it was like eight years was a great run. And then after a while, it just becomes like, I can't talk to people yeah. anymore. <laughs> you were quite unconventional. I mean, we think of DJs, you think of them doing you know, voiceover commercials, mm. hosting TV shows on that, mm. and you're like, just, Cause I do my show and that's it. They're extroverts. <laughs> like the, D, the DJs I met, they're very extroverted so, people. They get into it because they like to talk to people. And if it's a big crowd, even better, I get to talk to a crowd. <laughs> Everybody has to listen to me. You know, it's like, for me, but I'm like, like I was terrible on stage, like in front of audiences, mm -hmm. like anything that wasn't sitting in a chair talking, I was terrible. Uh, I think the best DJs, they have that sense of playfulness and fun and that they, they don't mind doing the other stuff, like the sales stuff and, and going to events and stuff like that. You know, there's people who are just naturally gifted at that kind of thing and they make the best DJs. And 
that's not me. And I, I tried my best and I think we had a good show, but I was not able to deal with all the other things that, that are involved with being a DJ. You know, and, and there's, because when you have any job, there's always other things involved. But you like know? what? Like going to events and stuff like that. Did you have to go to many events? The thing is, even if I had to go for one uh, in a month, I would dread it. Like they didn't even want to tell me like <laughs> until like the day before. So I wouldn't spend the whole week upset because I had to go to an event. You can see I'm a, I'm a real peach to work with. <laughs> they let you do your own thing as in a sense. They did. down too much. They really did. And I worked at SPH for 15 years. 15? That's a good long run. Yeah. But it it's like there comes a point where it's like, now I got to do my own thing. And I want to start my own, like, so I'm starting a business, doing this project trying to build something of my own. Mm. And it's like after, you know, it's like time. There comes a time in your life where you gotta say it's time before you're dead. Like that's the other thing too, is I got really sick a couple years ago. Okay. And I really thought I, I thought I had bronchitis and I was gonna die. And then I ended up getting a bit healthier again, stopped smoking. And then, and now I feel like, now it's like, I, want, I got another maybe 20, 30 years I wanna do what I wanna do, you know what I mean? Mm. I wouldn't call it a near-death experience, yeah. but in my own over-dramatized way, <laughs> that's how I'm treating it. So what have you progressed onto right now? After that, what have you been up to? So, yeah, so I'm working on the, um, with my band, The Shimmer Glimmers, right? I, yeah. made a, I made a few movies, uh, music videos for the first album, and what I realized is that making uh, music videos is, uh, it, it's, it's, it's really hard. <laughs> no, it's really hard to do it in the physical world because it's like finding locations. Like it's not a one-man job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, Sean knows. You do work in this mm -hmm. production too. You guys know it's hard work. Yeah. And you gotta fucking carry shit. And like <laughs> unspool shit. And hang up shit. And tape shit. And after a while I was like, this is not for me. <laughs> so, so, so what <laughs> So what, what about a Shimmer Glimmers do anyway? I mean, what, what kind of music do you play in? I would describe it as uh, new wave music, reminiscent of early 80s new wave, um, oh, with okay. a touch. Uh, somebody described it the other day as like this. It's like sort of a synth wave or outrun. It's like it's uh, got a sort of a dreamy quality, a bit of a, like, a bit of synthesizer, but also drums and stuff. That's my favorite era of music is the early 80s new wave, you know, mm -hmm. like Blondie, that kind of mm -hmm. era, The Police, right. Duran Duran. Um, but um, yeah, so my band does that. Uh, not many people care. I, I re released an album a few years ago and it got a pretty good response. We hit number two on the Singapore music charts. So now since then, I, I've been doing animation. I picked up a, a animation course at this company called CG Spectrum, mm. which is great. So um, what they do is they, you go online and then they pair you up with a person who works in the animation industry. Mm -hmm. It's very hands-on and you're working with real working professionals. Mm. So I've been doing that and in the meantime, developing my own movie project. But so what's the other, the other, you said you were working on a business as well. Which part was it? It's tied in with the, the an animation and the music. Oh, okay. So I like that, you, you said on my Instagram, it says, uh, watch this space. It said, watch yeah. this space for like six months. Yeah. So when the company's all ready and we're ready to release our first product, that will be probably around October. September, October. Okay. So that's when I'm sort of going to get out into the world again and see what happens. The thing I always say is like the chances of success are so slim, but I think I'd rather be a failure in something I love than a success in something I don't care about as much. Mm. And I don't know, that's easy to say, but when you're living <laughs> it, living in a trailer, you know, drinking your life away, then it's a different story. But, uh, you know, when you think of media nowadays, uh, in general, I don't just mean radio or yeah. movies or anything. You know, people want things fast. 
people want, want things now that's why you know we mm. always go get the, you get influencers and you know mm. post so many uh, so much content mm, quick mm, mm, and here you are saying oh I'm going to go one year and I'm going to post my content yeah do you think that's going to be detrimental in any way for you the no. thing is, you know, it's like I feel like I I don't think there's much chance of me taking over my um, Kiss fans to the new thing I'm doing because it's so different, and there's no reason that the people who follow me because they like me on Kiss, there's really no reason that they would like what I'm doing now. <laughs> so I'm very realistic about the fact that very few people are going to follow me on this journey from the fans I had before. I'm going to have to start from scratch okay. and build something all over again. I mean, it's nice if, if any of you keep want to keep following me and support what I do, I'd be very grateful. But the new thing I'm doing is something very different. And so it's going to be a different, different audience. And I'm going to have to spend probably years building a different audience. So, you know, I fully expect when I start start posting stuff on my Instagram about my new thing in like September, that I'm probably going to actually lose followers, you know. <laughs> People are like, what is this shit? I'm out, you know, but we'll see, we'll see. But I think that there comes a point in life like, like I paid for my house, my kids are almost through school. It comes a point where you, if you have the chance to do what you really want to do, you have to try. Yeah. yeah you know, you almost, sure. you have to try. Otherwise, what are you? What are you doing? So I'm not getting any younger. I've got a little bit of financial security. This is my time. I have to do it. And whether it succeeds or not, I mean, that's kind of almost beside the point. If it succeeds, great. Chances are it'll fail. Whatever. Then you go on to the next thing. You know? I feel this is the best stage <coughs> of life where this is basically what you're working towards. Yes. I feel you're not working towards success. You're just working towards yes. having the freedom to not care if it succeeds. Yes, you know? that's exactly yeah. right. That is exactly right. And when you're older too, you get to that point where you care much less about what other people think. And I mean, it would be nice. The one thing is the money. Like you want to have that financial security so you can continue to do what you want to do. But like I never, you saying I never really cared what people thought. Actually, that's... That's a complicated question, but it's like you have to do what you feel is right at a certain point and mm. do and, and do your own thing mm. and, and, and make a go of it and see if it works or not. Mm. And chances are it won't work, but at least you tried. And I think that, like I say, I, I'd rather have a glorious defeat in some ways than a sort of a tepid victory, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so what would you say to your uncool self then? I mean, if you could look at yourself now yeah. and you look back at yourself and you're the most, when were you the most uncool? You thought I was never uncool in my own mind. <laughs> no, I was the thing is right. I was always like very like I always had friends and I always like had my own thing going on and I never really worried sort of where I was relative to what other people were doing as long as I got to do what I wanted to do. And as a kid I sort of always did what I wanted to do. You know, I I feel like that kid like my whole life has been a process of getting back to being that person I was as a kid before I had to play, before I was corrupted by the world. I had to pay <laughs> bills and before I had to compromise. Like, of course, we, you know, I've had cool jobs, but there's a lot of compromise along the way. So right now, I feel like the person I am right now is the person I was at 15, who is the person... You know about Yes, in, in Lethbridge, who, who sort of started getting good at drawing and people sort of noticed a bit and and was you know had i had my girlfriend that i liked and we all were reading comics and driving around and going to movies 
like my life is kind of like that now and it's like we in the old days we used to have video parties so nobody even had a VHS player so you'd have to go rent a VHS player and so all the kids from the drama club I was in the drama club <laughs> is that how you got the girls <laughs> yeah well my girlfriend was like one of the head girls of the drama club so that's why you joined the drama club <laughs> yeah, it could be because the first term in drama club, she was actually she like my best friend, and then my best friend <laughs> sort of cast her aside, and I said I'm in there, <laughs> and then that caused the following uh, falling out between me and my. It's a whole story. If you guys want to hear this whole story, it's another story. But uh, no, but yeah, so yeah, she was like the one of the heads of the drama clique. And I actually got, I was actually a letterman in drama when I was in high school. You know, they get letters for sports. Oh, wow. You're right, Sean, I was uncool. <laughs> what school did you go to? <laughs> Very supportive in Lethbridge, Alberta, of all kinds of lifestyles. If I met that kid, I would say, you know, it's going to take a while, but, you know, you'll, you'll get there and <clears throat> you'll, um, I'd say you're going to have a pretty kick-ass life. But don't get your up. Don't get your hopes up too high. <laughs> You're not going to be Van Halen. But uh, no, I say yeah. I say you know, don't stress. You're going to have a pretty kick-ass life. It's not going to be the greatest life, but it'll be ninety, probably ninety, ninety-five percent of what you wanted. You know, and probably two hundred percent more than you deserved. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's what I'd say. If you want to be as cool as you. What what would be the three qualities they would need then? Love stuff. You know. Love it and don't give up. Love it and don't give up. Yeah. Well, is that that's all my fucking fifty years of life boils down to? I guess that's it. That's not bad. I mean, it could be worse. <laughs> well, I wanted to come up with something more original, but that's the best I got. Think about it. A lot of people live their lives without loving it. Yes. Or just giving up. I say most people don't love enough and don't try enough, and I feel like it can lead to a, a lot of unhappiness. You know what I mean? So you've got to put some emotional energy into life, I feel like, to get anywhere. Mm -hmm. And if there's no emotional stakes involved, then what's the point? You know what I mean? If, if, there's no, if there's no, like, emotional payoff, then really, what's the point, you know? Mm -hmm. So the only way to have an emotional payoff is to have an emotional, this is getting good, this is getting good. The only way to get an emotional payoff is to have an emotional investment. So you have to put... This is the. This is how I want to end it. Okay. This is what I want to say. Right. I remember when I. St I. I think we all go through our lives watching WWE wrestling at different points when we were a child, yes. and sometimes we revisit it. And I just fell in love with this guy. His name is Triple H. Yeah, Triple H. Hunter Hearst Helmsley, my favorite wrestler of all time. And the thing about Triple H, is that in my opinion, he cared more about winning those fucking belts <laughs> more than anybody else. And when you've got one guy. And he was in that Generation X. I feel like to me that was the greatest. He wanted to win those belts so bad. It meant so much to him on a personal, emotional level. And then he made those belts much more valuable because he valued them. And I feel like the competition got much more fierce because it's like, well, he wants that belt. Fuck him. I want that belt. <laughs> and so everybody's like... Once you put that love and emotion into something, that's what gives it its value. And then once you get it, then you get that payoff. If you don't have that emotional investment, then I don't see the point. You know? So kids, be like Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the big nosed professional wrestler. Don't give up and marry the boss's daughter. <laughs> yeah, marry we the boss's daughter. Finally. <laughs> so uh, for our listeners who want to follow you, 
and you know they want to watch this space and they want to follow you what are your where can they find you on social media what are your handles i'm at jason f johnson at instagram.com or no <laughs> <laughs> you don't even know <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, we'll do we'll put it down uh, there. Uh, yeah, then you go. Jason F. Johnson, right? Yes, Jason F. Johnson. Uh, on I'm Instagram. At, on Instagram, but I haven't really been active for about six months. I have no idea why you might want to follow me, but if you do, there you can find me there. Yeah. Oh, I want to see yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So Instagram is not really Insta. After yeah. All. yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know what. I don't know how this technology works. I'm not much of a thinker. Or you can follow my band, The Shimmer Glimmers. You can find us here and there. Chances are you won't like what we do, but it's awesome. If you enjoy this podcast, please subscribe to The Uncool or rate us five stars on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Just search for Freelance Creative Exchange and you can find more episodes of The Uncool or others in our series. And then you click follow. Also, share with us and celebrate the uncool moments by going to any social media platforms and using the hashtag FCE uncool. We want to hear from you and remember, it's cool to be uncool. <laughs>